Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So I mentioned before that today we are wrapping up our series called Water, and we've been talking about these different stories that had to relate to water throughout Scripture. We started with Jonah, and we talked about that one from the Old Testament. Then we moved to the New Testament, and we've been talking about stories that involved Jesus, first when he met the, women, the woman at the well in Samaria. And then the last two weeks, we've been talking about storms. We've been talking about two different times when the disciples were caught in a massive storm on the Sea of Galilee. And today we're wrapping up this series by talking about another time when the disciples have returned to the Sea of Galilee. But what's different is the last two times, the last two weeks we've been talking about this the disciples were in this moment of intense crisis and fear. There was these massive storms that can come up on the Sea of Galilee because it's, it's depressed. It's actually 400 feet below sea level, and the winds will come in and rush down the hills onto the lake, and it just, it's, a, it's a terrible lake to be on when a storm comes up. And so in both those times, the disciples thought that they were going to die. They thought that their boat was going to sink, that they would be trapped out in this storm. And really there's that question, how long can you tread water for? Can you tread water longer than this storm will last or not? And usually the answer to that is no, you can't. But in both of those times, Jesus rescued them. And so today we're talking about a crisis that may not be as intense as that, but this is more of like the slow burn crisis. When you're in a situation that just doesn't seem to change, that it's maybe not immediate danger, but over time, your hope is just wearing thin. Your hope is just wearing away and you're getting run down. And maybe you've been in a situation like that where you just feel like, like life's not changing. Everything I try to do differently, it's not making any results. I don't know what to do. I'm just stuck in this grind. And that's kind of the situation that we're talking about today. What do you do when you've lost all hope? What do you do when your hope is wearing thin and running out? And I want to invite you to join us on the YouVersion Bible app. If you've got the Bible app on your phone or it's a quick app to download, you can go to the events tab and search for Grand Valley and you can join in uh, on the conversation we're going to have today. And there's a couple points where I'm going to ask you guys some questions and we'll discuss those together before we wrap up. But you can respond through the app and that'll kind of get our conversation started. And so today we're looking at a story that comes at the very end of the Gospel of John. And John is one of the four um, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John was actually the last of the four to be written. And the other three were already in kind of wide circulation already. And so John decided that he wasn't going to repeat a lot of the parts that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had covered and John decided to say, you know, I got this opportunity. I'm going to put in the stories that they didn't have the space to put in. And so John has these, these stories and these encounters of Jesus' and his disciples that the other Gospels are missing. And so we're going to go to one of those. And this one actually happens right at the very end. It's John 21. It's the very last chapter of John. And this happens after Jesus has been arrested and he's been executed by Rome. And then three days later, to everyone's surprise, Jesus rose from the grave. He demonstrated that he really is the Son of God who has power over even death. And so Jesus has risen. He's appeared to his disciples twice before. But the disciples don't know what to do now. 
Because Jesus told them to wait. He told them to just kind of stay in this holding pattern. Just wait because there's this day coming where things are going to change. But you just have to wait. And so the disciples are stuck. They're stuck in this time period where they don't know what to do. And so John 21 uh, verses 1 to 3 tells us that later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And here's how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter... You know, we know him usually just Peter, but he was originally called Simon, and then Jesus renamed him Peter. So Simon Peter, Thomas, who had a nickname, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. So John, the guy who's actually writing this down, he's one of the sons of Zebedee. And two other disciples who, we don't get their name, but they were there. And so these seven guys, Simon says, I'm going fishing. And they say, okay, we'll come too. So they went out to the boat And they caught nothing at all. See, they didn't know what to do. But there's there's a reality of this, of they don't know what to do. And so Peter, who was a fisherman before Jesus called him to be a disciple, says, well, I'm going to go back to what I know. So come along with me. And he invites the group of the other disciples, and they go fishing because they don't know what else to do. So maybe there's a little point in that. You don't know what to do. Go fishing, maybe. Come on. But they don't know what to do. They're stuck. And so they go fishing. And so I got a question for you to to start our conversation off. What do you do when you feel stuck in life? What's your go-to thing when you feel stuck, when you don't know what to do next? What do you do? See, there's a second reason, though, why the disciples went fishing. And this second reason is just one of pure practicality. The disciples still needed to eat. See, during the three years that they were traveling with Jesus, there was a group of women, uh, around 72, that followed along with Jesus and the disciples, and they would make things and sell them, or they'd use their own resources, and they funded Jesus' ministry. This group of 72 women funded Jesus and the disciples during the three years of their ministry. And if you want to read about that, it's, it's in Luke 8, 1 to 3. But now we're in this time period where, you know, Jesus has risen from the grave. The disciples don't know what's next. They don't have this great following with them at the time. In fact, a lot of people have thought that, well, you know, that would-be Messiah just disappeared. And, well, that's that. Carry on. And so the disciples are stuck in this situation where they don't have people supporting them anymore. And so they've got to do something on their own. And so they go back to what they know. They go back to fishing because they don't know what else to do. They've kind of given up. And so while they're out fishing, they've been there all night long and they've caught nothing. Caught not a single fish. They've been casting their nets, dragging them along, hauling them up. Nothing. And so what happens next is kind of interesting. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see that it was Jesus. He called out, fellows, Have you caught any fish? Talk about rubbing salt in a wound. Like, they've been out all night. Like, Peter is a professional fisherman before Jesus calls him. So were James and John. These guys, this is is what they did. Now, sure, it's been three years. They're maybe a little rusty. But talk about rubbing salt in a wound. Jesus calls out, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And so Jesus shouts back to them, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And I don't know if it's just the, well... Why not throw one more time? Um, As they're probably planning to come in and just call it a day, they're kind of discouraged. They throw their net. So they did. 
and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Can you imagine this? Going all night long, you haven't caught a single fish. And some guy on the beach says, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And suddenly your net is so full of fish that seven grown men in a would-be a fairly large boat cannot pull the net in. See, something happens in this moment. Suddenly, Peter, James, and John have a realization. It's almost like this flashback, this moment of deja vu. Wait a second. We've been here before. This has happened before. See, three years earlier, the same thing happened. See, Jesus was again at the Sea of Galilee, and this was before he had called most of the disciples to start following and traveling with him. And Jesus had these great crowds of people that were following him. And what happened was there were so many people that they were all pressing in and they couldn't hear what Jesus was teaching and talking about. And so Jesus goes down to the shore and he finds Simon Peter, who at the time his name was just Simon, and he steps on Simon's boat and has Simon take him out a little ways from the shore and drop anchor and just sit, stay there so that the, the shore of the kind of the hillside coming down to the lake would form a natural theater. And so Jesus stood on the boat and he taught and he, teach the, he was teaching the people about what it means to follow God. And at the end of this, he says to Peter, he says, have you caught any fish? And Peter says, no, we haven't caught any fish all night long. And so Jesus tells him, go out a little deeper, cast your nets on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch fish. And the same thing happened three years earlier. Simon and the guys in the boat with him cast their nets down. They haul them up, and the net is so full of fish that it starts to tear and rip apart, and they have to call other boats in to help them land this net full of fish. And Peter and James and John are so awestruck by this moment. They're so overwhelmed by this moment of realizing that Jesus isn't just some guy. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. How could he know and how could he do this? And so Peter and the other, and James and John, at once just decide to abandon their boats, abandon their nets, and follow Jesus when he told them to follow him. And so now they are three years later, they're in this limbo mode where they're stuck, they don't know what to do. They're out fishing, some guy on the shore says, throw your nets on the other side. And they have this giant catch of fish. And John, the one who's, who's recording this and writing it down later, he realizes, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And so Peter, heard, when he heard it was Jesus, you know, he puts on his tunic. Now, he wasn't naked. He would have been wearing like his undergarments. But, you know, you don't go and greet someone important wearing just your underwear, okay? So Peter puts on his tunic, jumps off the boat, abandons the other guys, and swims to shore ahead of them. Kind of like this, see ya, your problem, I'm going to Jesus. And so Peter goes to the shore while the others had to drag the net in. They couldn't even haul it into the boat. They just had to drag the net into shore because they're only about 100 yards out. See, Jesus in this moment is trying to remind the disciples of something. He's trying to remind them of a moment when they knew what was going on. He's trying to remind them of a moment when they realized something about Jesus, that he was something more than an ordinary man. He's trying to remind them of why they started following him in the first place. When they're stuck, when they don't know what to do next, 
Jesus reminds them of when he first found them and when he first called them to follow him. When the disciples felt lost, that's what Jesus did. So this is one of the things that that makes me think and kind of wrestle and wonder about this. When we feel stuck, maybe we're in a, maybe it's a work situation or maybe it's a relationship issue or maybe it's something else where we feel like we don't know what to do next. We feel stuck. One of the things that, that sometimes helps us to say, well, why did we start this in the first place? Why did I start this journey? Because I had reasons then. But oftentimes we forget those reasons when the, the, when the journey gets tough. We forget the reason why we started. And so I want to ask this second question. What is something that helps you find motivation to keep going when you're facing you know, a trial or something that's difficult, something that's hard to do? What helps you find the motivation to keep going? So the disciples, um, Peter swam ahead of them, and the rest of the disciples come up. Hey, you're going to join me for this? Okay, you know, Grandma's sitting just over there, right? Is that who you're looking for? There we go. I'm not sure Olivia knows this story that well yet. I don't know if if I've taught it to her. It could be interesting, theology according to a three-year-old. But so Peter has gone ahead of the other disciples. The other disciples make it to the shore, dragging this, this net full of fish. And here's what happens. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, there's two things that are deeply important about this verse. Now, the first one may be the most important verse in all of Scripture. Just hear me out on this. Jesus cooked over charcoal. Now, some of you may barbecue over propane, and I once was a propane user. And then this year, something changed And I discovered how wonderful it is to cook the way that Jesus cooked. You cook over charcoal. Now, some of you follow me on Instagram. I was thinking, I actually did some fish over charcoal this week. It was amazing. I thought I'd put the pictures up, but that's kind of just mean because I don't have any here to share. But here's the thing that I want to share with you. Um, September 9th is our fall kickoff, and we're we're still in the planning stages. But it looks like there's a group of us that are going to bring our smokers up to the church and we're going to be here all night long, and we're going to cook over charcoal and wood, and we're going to, like, we'll have some good food for our fall kickoff. We will show you what it's like to cook the way Jesus cooked, right? That's, that's the whole, like, we can just end the sermon here, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Maybe now we do have to end here. Anyways, that's not really the important part. I just like that. See, here's what's really important about this passage is Jesus' disciples, they've been out all night fishing. They didn't catch a thing until the very end. And when they finally make it to shore, you know, when you catch fish, you've got to clean them. Like, their job is not done. They're expecting to spend the whole morning cleaning fish, and then finally they'll take some of them and have a meal. But Jesus already has a meal waiting for them on the beach. Jesus is caring for his disciples in this moment. See, a rabbi, a teacher, someone who they would call Lord, this title of of importance and significance, rabbis did not cook for their disciples. Disciples cooked for their rabbis. But Jesus, after he's risen from the grave, one of the things he does is he cares for his disciples in this moment. He meets them, and he meets their physical need of their hungry, and he cares for them. Even when we're in the midst of, 
of difficulty, even when we're in the midst of a crisis or in the midst of wondering what to do next, Jesus wants to care for us. Jesus wants to meet us there. That's what this verse tells us. And maybe it's with something delicious cooked over charcoal, just saying could be what Jesus wants to do. But here's the deal. After breakfast, something really important happens, and this really is the focal point of this passage. See, they've sat down, they've eaten, um, they counted up the fish, there was 153, so it's a big load of fish. But they're sitting down, and after they've eaten, Jesus says to Peter, and he asks him a question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, he's not saying, do you love me more than the other disciples do? What he's saying is, do you love me more than you love your friends? Do you love me more than everything else you know? He's asking Peter, have you put me first in your life? Have you put following me as the number one priority? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. Then feed my lambs. Then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter says, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, is the command Jesus gives the second time. Then a third time, Jesus asks the same question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, Jesus has a purpose in this. He asks Jesus three times, do you love me for a reason? Because if we go back to right after Jesus was arrested, after the disciples had spent their last meal together with Jesus, Jesus told Peter something. Jesus told Peter that he would deny Jesus three times before the night was through. And Peter said, no, not a chance. I'm going to be with you to the end. Even if I have to die, I'm going with you. But Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me. And sure enough, that's what happened. Jesus asked Peter this three times to mirror the three times that Peter had denied Jesus after his arrest. The three times that that Peter denied Jesus were as Jesus was on trial before the religious leaders and someone who was there knew Peter and let him into the courtyard and he was standing around a fire with the other servants and the other guards and Three times people asked him, hey, aren't you the guy that was with Jesus? Didn't you know him? Weren't you one of his followers? And three times Peter said, no, I don't know the guy. No, I wasn't with him. No, I wasn't there. You've got me mistaken. See, Peter, even though he'd walked with Jesus for three years, he denied him. And so later, when Jesus comes and he meets Peter and Peter's gone back to fishing because he doesn't know what else to do, Jesus asks him these three questions to restore him. Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to counter his denial, to change them around. See, last week we talked about when the disciples were on the boat and the storm was coming up and Jesus wasn't with them and they thought they were going to die and suddenly they see Jesus walking on water towards them. And Peter says, hey, if it's really you, call me out to see you. And so Peter gets out of the boat and walks towards Jesus. And for a moment, he's doing it. He's walking on water, something that's never been done before. But then Peter 
loses sight of Jesus. He looks around at the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. And immediately, Jesus saved him. Jesus rescued Peter from the waves. Now in this moment, Jesus is restoring Peter. He's restoring Peter back to the place that that God has for him. See, earlier on, there's this moment that happens in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, when, G- when Peter finally really like, it's like a, a, a switch goes on, a light bulb turns on, and he gets it and he says, Jesus, you really are the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's this moment where Jesus says, yes, Simon, but from now on you will be called Peter, which, which means rock. His name means rock. He says, you will be the rock upon which I build my church. You're going to be the, the tip of the spear, the starting point, the beginning point of the church growing and spreading throughout the world. That's the, the promise that Jesus gave Peter. But then when it really counted, Peter denied Jesus. And so he feels like he's blown it. He's given up. He's lost all his chances. He's disqualified himself from following Jesus. Jesus meets him on the shore and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me more than these? And what he's doing is he's restoring Peter back to his place. He's restoring Peter back to this moment of saying, you will be one of the first apostles that preaches about who Jesus is. And see, if we just go to the very next page in our Bibles, we go from John 21 We go to Acts 1. And Acts is the story of what the disciples do after. Peter becomes the most important central figure for the whole first portion of of Acts. The church begins to grow. People come to know Jesus. They come to faith in him after Jesus has died and risen. But they come to faith because of what Peter does. This is the turning point in Peter's life. Even though he thought he was disqualified, even though he thought he was rejected, Jesus restores. See, this is what God is in the business of doing. God is in the business of restoring people. God is in the business of redeeming and rescuing and restoring us. So no matter what the crisis is that we're in, no matter what the situation we're in, Jesus is always trying to call us towards being rescued, redeemed, and restored. That's the message of the gospel in the most simplest form and way we can put it. The whole message of Scripture points towards that. Jesus wants to restore us. Even though we think God may have given up on us, we think our situation is too difficult, we've maybe done things that we're ashamed of or done things that that we think, if anyone knew that I'd done those things, they wouldn't even want to be around me. Jesus restores. Jesus overcomes those things. That's the whole reason he came. If Jesus didn't give up on Peter, who knew him face to face, but denied him when it mattered the most, Jesus is not going to give up on you. So here's the third question I want to ask. What would you say to someone who feels like God has given up on them? What's maybe? How would you encourage someone if they're feeling discouraged or depressed or they're feeling run down? What would you say to encourage them? And so I'm going to turn over to our, our discussion on the app here, and you can still keep typing something in. It'll pop up. Um, and we're a smaller group today, so we're just going to, um, if you have something to share, just stick your hand up, um, and I'll kind of repeat it. Um, so 
Sure. Which, which question are you wanting to speak to? <laughs> that life is worth living. So for that number third one, that's one way of encouraging it. Yeah. Recognizing how important life is. Thanks for sharing that. I'm just going to go back to the first question for a moment. Um, what do we do when we feel stuck? And someone responded here saying, I'm reminded to seek first God's kingdom and the rest will be added. Kind of this, how do we put our priorities back in order? What else? What, what's maybe something, what do you do when you feel stuck in life? Anyone have something to add to that? That's a really important point. Remembering we're not alone. Go to your friends. Go to your church. Go to your brothers and sisters. Go to the people around you. See, too often we think we have to tackle it all by ourselves. And maybe that's something about our Western, modern society is we think we got to go it alone and do it all ourselves. But that's not what God means. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. What, what else? I mean, it doesn't have to be a good thing. Like, when I feel stuck, I just want to mope around and do nothing. Like... Let's just be honest. That's, that's our inclination. That's what I want to do. But sometimes we have to recognize, just like what's been said, you know, we need to talk to people. We need to choose to make a choice, choose to make a difference. How about for the second question? What helps you find motivation to keep going? Uh, and there's a response that came in online saying, my husband often leads me back to God. It seems that when I'm weak or doubting, that that's when he's very strong in his belief, which is a blessing, because at least one of us is able to focus on God for the both of us. And that part of of we walk together with people is so important. What else? Any other thoughts? What helps you find the motivation to keep going when you feel stuck or you feel in a crisis moment? What, What helps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, remembering what Jesus has done in the past. Exactly like what Jesus did with Peter and said, hey, remember when I called you? The same thing happened. No fish all night, net full of fish. And that, that, that whole part is, you know, can we remember those times in our past when God was there to take care of us or when when God worked through our, our friends and our relationships. Um, one of the things that I do quite a bit is I journal. Um, and I do it uh, digitally because what happens is every time when I hit the anniversary of an entry, I get a notification that morning being like, hey, on August 5th last year or August 5th three years ago, you wrote this. And as I go back and I reread what I wrote, and oftentimes I'll realize like I was writing about this situation I was in and, and trying to make a decision about something or in this. And oftentimes it makes me remember, wait a second, that was resolved by this. That was resolved by, you know, maybe it was in a, in a book I read or it was through something that came to me while I was praying. Like, it makes me remember those times. And so journaling is one of those practices where if you don't do it, I'd highly recommend try it out. And, and, and it doesn't have to be long and lengthy and you don't have to write every day, but it's one of those pieces that does exactly like what um, Codrell just said. It helps us remember the good things. And it helps us realize that a crisis that we were in three years ago, now I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was kind of small potatoes. I didn't need to get so worked up about that situation. So how about this third question? 
What would you say to someone who feels like God has given up on them? How would you encourage someone? Yeah, exactly that point of saying, how do we choose to look for God's presence when things aren't going well? Because oftentimes we feel like it's so much easier to connect with God. Maybe, you know, you come here on a Sunday and you feel like, man, the, the music just helped me connect with God on the days when we're already feeling good. But how do we look for God even when we aren't feeling, um, you know, like, like things are going great? Uh, there's a comment that came in online here saying, Jesus himself said that he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. If you have trouble in your life, that's exactly what God is in the business of repairing. And that's a good point to remember is that God, Jesus said it himself, he came for the sick, not for those who are healthy. Someone who's healthy doesn't need a doctor. Someone who's sick does. But what else? Maybe there's, there's one more to, to share. What's something you'd say to encourage someone who feels like God's given up on them? Stories are powerful. Sharing your own experiences. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sharing our own experiences of how God worked in our lives um, is often one of the most powerful ways of, of sharing with someone. And it's not to make it all about you, but to just say, hey, I've been there, and this is what helped me. And it can be that part of, of, part of a longer conversation and part of a relationship of how do we walk together to keep moving forward. See, this where we stopped with Jesus asking Peter the three questions isn't the end of the story in John 21. And I want to tell you about the next thing that Jesus said because it's, it's something that at first feels very discouraging, but it's actually encouraging. It's actually something good. See, after Peter responds to Jesus, says, you know everything, you know I love you. And Jesus tells him the third time, feed my sheep. He's giving this commission to lead the church. Jesus says this to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you, you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus is kind of speaking in a bit of a metaphor here. And so John adds in this, this verse 19 to kind of give us some explanation. And, and John says, Jesus told, said this, he told Peter this, to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told, me, told him, follow me. See, John adds this comment. He adds this explanation that Jesus tells Peter this kind of cryptic warning to let Peter know that someday he will be killed for his faith. And that's what ends up happening to Peter is he becomes martyred, executed because of his belief in Jesus. Now, that may not seem encouraging at all, but, but this is what really Jesus is telling Peter. Jesus is telling Peter, you're not going to give up. You're not going to give up on this commission to move forward and to tell people about Jesus. See, Jesus, see Peter always struggled with loyalty. He went back and forth of, of understanding who Jesus was and, then, and getting it all wrong. And, you know, we, we make fun of Peter. 
and we focus on his failings, that even though he got out of the boat, well, he took his eyes off Jesus and he fell. And then he denies Jesus. (laughs) He denies Jesus three times. And we like to look at Peter's failings. But what Jesus is telling Peter here is this. You're not going to give up on your faith anymore. In fact, your faith is so strong that you're willing to die for it. That's the promise that Jesus gave Peter. And again, it looks discouraging on the surface level, but when we realize what he's saying, Jesus is promising Peter, you're going to remain loyal to me. Because that's ultimately what Peter wanted. Peter wanted to remain loyal to Jesus. But he needed help to get there. Oftentimes we're in the same position where we want our faith to be strong, but we feel like we're weak. We want our faith to shape who we are and how we interact with people and how we, how we talk, how we act, how we serve one another. But we struggle with it at the same time. So there's one last question that I want to ask just for you to think and, and wrestle through. But what's the next step you need to take in your journey to follow Jesus? Not what's the whole path. Just what's the next step? What's maybe the one thing that you could start doing that would help you grow in your faith, that would help you to see God's presence in your life even when things are difficult, that would help you to connect with him on a deeper level? What's just one thing? See, a journey is not made in giant, huge steps. In fact, um, there was two explorers back in the 1800s that were trying to push to the South Pole. And they were actually in a bit of a race at the same time. They were taking different paths. And one of the guys had a, had a theory. He said, on the days when things are good, we're going to cover as much ground as we possibly can. And when a blizzard, when a storm rolls in, we're just going to hunker down, we're going to wait it out. So some days, when days were good, these guys were covering like 60, 70 miles in a day. Like skis, packs, dogs, like this isn't like they're not hopping in a snowmobile. Like by foot, 60, 70 miles a day, that's impressive. The other explorer and his group of guys had a different plan. They said, we're going to go 20 miles a day no matter what. No matter what the condition is, even if it's good and we could go further, 20 miles, we stop. 20 miles, we stop. Even on the days when things are awful, 20 miles, we stop. Which explorer made it further? How many of you think it's the guy that went 60, 70 miles when days were good and hunkered down when we waited? How many of you think it was the ones that went 20 miles a day no matter what? Oh, you've heard this story before. 20 miles a day no matter what. Now, 20 miles seems huge, but here's what I'm asking. One step. What's one step you could take each day? Not just when things are good and to hunker down and wait when, things, when there's a storm rolling through life. What's the one step to take? Stay in the Word. Staying in, in reading Scripture and connecting with God through His Word exactly it. And so I want you to wrestle with this this week, and I want you to choose what that one thing is for you and move forward. Let me take a moment and pray for us before we wrap up. God, thank you that you are in the business of restoring, that you are in the business of redeeming, that ultimately what you want is every person to be able to know you deeply. 
And God, I pray that we would be a church that follows that faithfully, that we would be a church and a community of believers that helps people know you. God, I pray this from the depths of my heart, that we would be a community that helps people take that next step in their faith. And God, I pray for each one of us that you would lay on our hearts what the next step we have to take is. We have to lead this journey by example. And God, would you lay in front of us what the next piece is, just one at a time, where we need to move. And would you help remind us that you are in the business of restoring us, that you are trying to call us deeper into a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. So folks, next Sunday, we're launching into a sermon series. It's going to be kind of different from the one we just did. We're calling it Don't Be a Troll. Now, we still don't have a name for our troll, so if you find us on Facebook, you can um, come up with a name for this guy because we kind of need to name him. He's going to be our mascot that's going to help us for this next four weeks. But we're talking about this fact that a troll, no one wants to be friends with a troll. I mean, they kind of talk weird. They kind of smell funny. They try to demand money from you when you're crossing over their bridge. Like, no one wants to be around a troll. And so we're talking about this sermon series, Don't Be a Troll. We're going to teach ourselves how do we not be a troll. And if you are completely confused, that's okay. Come next Sunday. We'll launch into it, and it'll be a fun journey to take through the month of August. So, folks, thanks for being here. I hope you have an amazing August-long weekend. See you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.